Hey guys, and welcome back to the most bizarre show on the internet. We are your connoisseurs of the strange, navigating the treacherous waters of the unknown, diving deep into the Mariana Trench of weird information, then surfacing up to the swirling vortex of the Bermuda Triangle to bring you guys the most bizarre encounters imaginable, then dissecting them with the skills of a pathologist to theorize what exactly is going on in this bizarre reality we all reside in. I am the one, the only, Shane Squatch. And I'm Orn. And uh, we are the Bizarre Crew, minus one Hopefully, temporarily. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. Cross my fingers. All, all of you guys love Jenny. So if you guys love Jenny, shoot her a message and say, hey, I want you on Bizarre Encounters. <laughs> and Orrin promises he'll be a better boy. <laughs> Don't make it too creepy and weird, though. <laughs> oh, I've been a bad boy. <laughs> Bruh. Uh, Bruh. Bruh. That's all I'm going to say. Bruh. That's what she said. <laughs> I had to throw that in there because we didn't hit one on the last episode and I feel like it's uh, become a thing that we got to at least use. That's what she said at least once. But I'm well, going to go back go. through we it. Our quota. I'm going to get five more variations of Steve Carell saying that's what she said because everybody knows that he says that a hundred times through the show. And I'm going to make it so that as we go through an episode, I can use different that's what she says. <laughs> well, you know, variety is the spice of life. So, But... Before we can get into this awesomeness today, do you have any news updates, anything cool going on with you, my friends? No, not much over here. Uh, do you have anything you'd want to inform our listeners on? I know you've got the uh, kind of Halloween event coming up here shortly. Well, actually, um, just on the air and also just out of my curiosity, are you still planning on vending this event with me? I am not sure. Uh, kind of short notice. I'm gonna have to see as far as like work and uh, getting time off and all that sort of thing. But it, it's a possibility. But uh, you know, don't everybody uh, bet on it quite yet. You heard it here first. Everybody, cross your fingers that Orin will be there. If not, then I will definitely be there. And if you guys want to go and check that out, our next event that we will be vending will be the Snarly You Presents Cryptid Halloween Two Cryptid Festival and Halloween Craft Show. And that will be October 28th from 12 to 6 at the American Legion in Charlestown, West Virginia. And if anybody wants more information on that, I uh, will find the website and I will put it down in the show description so you guys can get tickets, set up what you guys are going to do so you guys can come out and hang out for that. And uh, besides that, another thing that I had to throw in, I don't know if you got a chance to watch it or not yet, but uh, I know it's been out for a couple weeks now, but I did get early access to it and I just didn't get a chance to get to this yet because of all the different personal stuff going on in both of our lives. But, uh, the land of the missing, the new small town monsters documentary by, uh, Seth Breedlove, absolutely one of the best cryptid documentaries that I've seen so far. And I have a huge fascination with Alaska and the whole weird missing person aspect to Alaska. And he definitely dives deep into some new stuff that I hadn't even heard of as far as the folklore goes. And uh, for anybody that hasn't seen it, I know all of you guys are probably following small town monsters because, I mean, they're like the best as far as uh, cryptid documentaries go. One of the best, I'd say. You know, like the biggest company as far as that goes. So if you guys haven't checked it out, highly recommend doing so. It is absolutely one of the best ones so far. And again, I don't know. I don't know if you got a chance to watch it yet, but if you have anything to say about it, uh, I have not got a chance to watch it yet. I definitely want to. I've heard nothing but good things. So uh, hopefully, once everything kind of settles down a little bit, and uh, you know, maybe after football season at this point, but we'll have to see. Uh, 
but I'm definitely planning on checking it out. So. And actually, speaking of football season, it's too late this year, but going on next this year. This is a great announcement. Yeah, if, yes. you want, if you want to talk about what you've been trying to do as far as connecting with our listeners a little bit more. Okay, so uh, if you guys saw either uh, mine or Jenny's posts on Instagram, we were trying to rustle up like a uh, bizarre encounters, you know, open minds, media, family, fantasy football league for this year. Uh, we had some people that committed and had to drop out last minute. But uh, anyway, we made it work this year. But hopefully uh, next year we get a little bit more participation. And uh, just letting you guys know now, put that one uh, on the back burner for next year. If you guys want to participate in the Bizarre Blitz fantasy football team, definitely let me know. We plan on uh, just keeping this rolling so we can, uh, like Shane said, engage with the listeners and just have you know something fun to do with you guys. So. Keep that in mind. And also, just to throw it in here, we're still trying to build up our community. We really want all of you guys to get included, even if you only drop in for a little bit of the conversation. Uh, at least pop onto the uh, Discord. That's the one that we're trying to build up the most. But the intention is, once we get enough people interacting in there, and the only way it's going to happen is with you guys, because we can only interact so much, so much amongst ourselves, uh, maybe we can start doing some type of... Uh, group hangout type of thing. Maybe we can set up like squash trips or, uh, you know, just some kind of hangout. Maybe we can set up some type of like uh, open minds media slash bizarre encounters, barbecues. Uh, we want to be able to connect with you guys more. We want to be able to try to maybe make it so we can do our own events. I do have a really good idea for an event that I want to try to put on in Michigan, but I don't know if uh, Orrin will be able to make it up that far, but maybe we can do some little pocket events. You know, sometimes Orrin can do some stuff with you guys. Sometimes I can do some stuff with you guys. Sometimes we can meet up in the middle, but we don't just want to have an online community. We want to start making it so we also have a big in-person community. And the first step to having that happen is everybody interacting, popping into the Discord, getting to know each other. And then from there, you know, maybe you guys can meet up even without us and you guys can become friends, all that kind of awesome stuff. But we really want to get included with you guys. We want to be able to form this community. We want to be able to interact with you guys. We want to make it so that everybody has a safe, awesome place that they can come and hang out with everybody. But again, only way that's ever going to happen is if you guys keep continuing to help us build up the community. And for the people that have popped into the Discord, I thank you immensely. You guys are absolutely great. Uh, anybody that's sitting on the fence, whether or not to hop in, like I said, you don't have to always interact. Just pop into the group, interact when you feel the need to, but don't be scared to interact. Come on and pop in. Uh, we want to talk to every single one of you guys, and I want to learn all of your guys' names. And, you know, I don't just want to be that guy in the microphone that's talking to a bunch of unknown names. I want to know all of you guys by name so that if I make a reference to something that one of you guys in particular might like, I want to drop your name on it. I want to get you guys as included as I possibly can in this podcast. But again, you guys got to break the ice. You guys got to let me know that you're listeners, and you guys got to let me know who you are. <laughs> and on that note, like we say every week, you guys know the drill. Do the internet things. Reach out to us. Social media. Not a website. Yet. The email address. BizarreEncounters at Outlook.com. We're easy to get up with. Y'all know how the internet works. Just get up with us and submit your own Bizarre Encounters for Shane's book he's working on. And also, I am still looking for somebody that uh, is 100% native that would be interested in coming on and sharing some... Uh, ancestral stories or even some personal encounters that they may have experienced in their life. But I want to get some more native voices on the show. So if that sounds like it checks the box for you, please shoot me a message. I'd love to set something up and get you on the show. And uh, if you guys aren't already following the show on social media, highly recommend that you do. Uh, the main one that I'm active on is Instagram. We also have a Facebook set up, but if you guys want to interact and see anything new and interesting going on, the best way to do so, of course, is through Instagram because the Facebook kind of just gets uh, pushed off from the Instagram. And uh, like I was already mentioning, the Telegram and the Discord, if you guys want to pop in there and have some awesome conversations with some like-minded people, uh, it's a good place to do so. If you guys have any suggestions for things that you want to see on the Discord or the Telegram, I'm always happy to take suggestions. So don't hesitate to shoot me a message and let me know what you guys want to see as far as that goes. Because like I said, I want to build a community with all you guys. And the only way I'm going to be able to do that is if I get all your guys' voices as far as what you guys want for the community itself. And uh, if you guys aren't already checking out the YouTube or the TikTok, uh, I usually post clips of the show over there. So it's an easy way to be able to share the show. Um, you know, if somebody's not going to sit and listen to a full hour to two hour episode, at least send them a couple minute clip of points of interest in the show. And there will be hopefully some more stuff going on as far as that goes. I recently figured out how to make some new updated clips where you guys can actually see our faces and stuff using Riverside. So there should be even better video content coming that way. And on top of that, 
Oren and I are both douchebags with GoPros, so I'm sure you guys will be seeing a lot more of that kind of stuff on the YouTube as we continue on, of course. Lucky you. Oh, yeah, I love my GoPro. The things I no, carry with I mean, me everywhere. The listener, <laughs> they get to see us as well as listen to our dumbasses. So. Well, mainly listening, because if we're using GoPros, they might just be looking forward unless we're using the selfie stick. <laughs> uh, I mean, what other way is there to do it? We've both got the creator edition with the stick included. Fancy, fancy. <laughs> with You've the light, all, the all that shit. <laughs> I, I didn't spring for the 127-piece uh, set that you did. Hey, it's definitely worth it, though, because I got a strap for everything. That sounded a little dirty, but... That's what she said! <laughs> I got a hey, strap that, for everything! That's between uh, you and your lady, so... <laughs> <laughs> and, uh... If you guys want to support the show, there's a couple different ways to do so. Number one is to join the Patreon. There is, uh, you won't just get this show, but you also get Increase of Our Reality. It's the Open Minds Media Patreon. Uh, you'll get early access to the show. You'll get lives of the show, live replays of the show, and you'll also get exclusive merch store discounts. And speaking of that, if you guys want to go and check out the Open Minds Media merch store, you'll find a bunch of our awesome designs, including the new Stay Bizarre design, and there should be the Squonk design on there soon enough. But if there's something that you're kind of sitting on the fence about, you don't know if you want to get the shirt yet, even if you subscribe to the Patreon for one month, you'll get a discount code and then uh, go and buy your shirt. Get, get yourself a little bit of a discount on the shirt and support the podcast all, all in one, one swift strike. And uh, if you guys want to donate to the show directly to make it so that we can vend more events, uh, get out there, get to know you guys some more, be able to build up the show continuously, because like I say on every single show, that money doesn't go in our pockets. It all goes right back into building the show. So you guys can say that you're part of building the show. It's kind of like, you know, the whole no agenda executive producer type of thing. Uh, we'll give you guys a big shout out if it doesn't give you the option to leave some type of personalized message on Red Circle, of course. And if you guys are looking to score some sweet cryptid merch, Y'all know to check out Joe at Crypto Theology. He's got some awesome designs, cryptids, aliens, you name it. So definitely check that out. And speaking of that, it's been a while. We had a Bizarre Encounters, Bizarre Combat design that was made with uh, the old co-host on the show, Ghost. Uh, maybe at some point soon I can convince uh, Joe to make a new Bizarre Encounters design, or maybe he can even update the design to make it so that it's the current, co or the current hosts of the show. Um, so not only are we always trying to throw it back to crypto duology, but we also have some ties in where he's making us some more awesome merchandise for you guys to go and check out. And just a shout out to one of our awesome listeners. I know Riley has that bizarre encounters, bizarre combat shirt. Uh, maybe he might be one of the last that has the old design. And maybe again, I can convince Joe to update it to the new co-host of the show. And uh, everything that we've mentioned is all available under the link tree down in the show description. If you guys want to go and check out anything, Go and do that. Follow the trail to whatever it is that you guys might be looking for. And with that, today is another awesome show put together by my uh, awesome co-host over here, Oren. So with that, man, take it away and let the listeners know what we're going to be getting into today. All right, guys. So this is kind of another one in my uh, unofficial North Carolina folklore oddities, whatever you want to call it, series. Today we're going to talk about a big one. This is the Brown Mountain Lights. And I'm sure, uh, you know, some of you listeners out there that aren't even from North Carolina or those surrounding areas have heard of this one. So basically the Brown Mountain Lights are these mysterious ghost lights or orbs. Swamp gas? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they've been reported in the area around Brown Mountain, North Carolina for hundreds of years at this point. And Brown Mountain is located in Pisgah National Forest, which, as we know, National Forest, that should always raise red flags for you guys. But uh, that's located near Morganton, North Carolina. That's kind of the closest actual town. My question with these national forests is, are they national forests because it was specific land they were trying to preserve because it was so beautiful? Or... Are they trying to preserve this land because they know that there's something weird? To uh, you know where I stand on that one. You know, I think these spots and you know military bases as well. But we're talking about national forests at the moment. They're they're not chosen simply for their national or excuse me natural beauty. I, I think there's a you know there's there's something else going on there, and we're going to get into that a little bit later here in the notes. So I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> So anyway, uh, the brown mountain lights are reported to appear in many different forms. Sometimes they're said to kind of appear and disappear suddenly, like just flicker in and out. 
uh, while other times they're reported to like slowly drift through the sky, kind of like how orbs are reported a lot, you know, kind of these lights under intelligent control, seemingly, you know, stuff like that. It's uh, ball lightning. I already know. Yeah. It's swamp gas and ball lightning. That's always the excuse for this shit. That's what it's got to be. That's what science tells me. It's ball lightning and swamp gas. You forgot weather balloons. <laughs> and weather balloons, yes. Reflective, bright-colored weather balloons that have existed in this area for centuries. Yep. And sometimes there's only one light that's observed, and sometimes, you know, there's several kind of, you know, lighting up the entire night sky in this area. And there's also different colors that are reported, and some of the most common reports are of red, blue, white, and yellow. So that's just a little bit of overview, but kind of getting into some of the folklore and legends around this. So there's a long history of ghost stories and other legends that kind of are used to explain away the lights and how they came to be. Arguably the most famous of these stories uh, supposedly came from the 1850s. And the general gist of the story is there was this local woman who uh, went missing. Missing four one one. It's in the national forest. Ho ho! Man, I've got I've got it in the notes. We're, we're, we're going to get there. I'm always jumping ahead, so, man. That's my job. <laughs> hey, you're just teasing everybody. I'm a tease. So, That's what she like said. Uh, there's this local woman who went missing, and a lot of the townspeople suspected that this woman's husband had killed her and hid her body somewhere on Brown Mountain. So the locals started searching for this woman or her remains. And during these like nightly searches, uh, mysterious lights began to appear. And so this kind of got the locals wondering if these lights were kind of the woman's spirit, if you will, and they were guiding them toward her remains. Um, I didn't find anything saying if they ever found this woman's remains, but you know, that's kind of the prevailing legend behind the brown mountain lights. Does it even say if anybody has ever even tried to follow the lights in general? Like they have the theory, the story of it, but has anybody actually physically tried to follow the lights? So in, oh, and we're going to get into this a little bit, but in kind of the older iterations of this story, the lights are always kind of off in the distance. Now, more recently people have been reporting more close up sightings, but there might be a reason for that, that we're going to get into a little bit later. Ooh, teasing, teasing. Teasing, teasing. So, uh, you know, like I said, the the story of the uh, supposedly murdered woman, that's kind of the prevalent story about the Brown Mountain Lights, but there's a lot of other ones. Uh, one of the legends attributes the lights to the spirit of a devoted slave who was searching for his missing master. And, you know, there's even thoughts that maybe the lights were like his uh, lantern as he was looking for his master. And then other stories say that it's the spirits of Native American women searching for their husbands who are lost in a great battle between the Catawba and Cherokee tribes. But like we said, the common denominator between all these tales are missing people in this area that is now a national forest. So... I, I mean, that writes itself. Missing 411, National Forest, uh, I mean, all that stuff is right there to unpack. I know that we bring this up on almost every single show, but I'm already getting, like, fey vibes from it. Well, and, you know, we talked about the um, the Devil's Tramping Ground in an episode a few months back, and that has real strong fey connections. This one, not quite as much, but... um. There's still a lot of cool stuff to unpack in this one, so I, I think you guys will kind of dig some of the stuff we got to talk about. At least the guiding light, whether it's a trickster thing or not. I mean, I don't know. It's still, it's, I still, that at least that portion of it kind of reminds me of a slight fey vibe. Although, like luring somebody deeper into the woods just get, always gives me a fey vibe. Yeah, and, and like we say, you know, all this stuff's connected. You know, the fey, the orbs, Sasquatch, all of it is connected in some way. We we just don't know how. Just so. to throw my theory back in on this one, I know I've said this on previous episodes, but what if all of these creatures you see in the woods are just these orbs, and these orbs just choose a form depending on what they're trying to do? So they want to scare you away, they come off as a giant ape thing. They want to lure you in, they come off as these little creatures that are like, hey, come here, come here, come here, come here, and they just pick a form. But normally they're not, they're not even like a, 
it's a form of life that we may not be able to understand because it may just be one of those things that it's just, it doesn't have a solid form until it picks a solid form. And even so that solid form not, not be as solid as we think it is. It might be visibly solid, but it may not actually be like physically solid. Or maybe there's certain areas where they are a little bit more physically solid. And then again, getting into the whole like, you know, Sasquatch disappearing footprints thing, you know, maybe they intentionally will do certain things to lure people away from areas, to lure people towards areas, but they can kind of choose depending on when they want to be more physical or not. But I'm not saying that's the case, but it, my mind always goes towards these orbs possibly being all these different creatures and just picking forms. Yeah. The, the mask they choose to wear. Exactly. <laughs> It's, they're the so, spectators. You know, like when you play a video game and you have that little floating around orb and you're the spectator, that's what the orbs are. Until so they pick their form and then they actually start playing the game. Respawn. <laughs> <laughs> so the earliest uh, published mention of the Brown Mountain Lights occurred in 1912. So around this time, uh, the area around Brown Mountain started to receive electricity from like the 1890s through the 1910s was when, you know, kind of this process was going on. And in 1909, Southern Railway began upgrading their locomotive's headlights, which obviously would mean that they could be seen from further distances away than before. And in 1913, a woman reported seeing mysterious red lights on the horizon nightly at 7.30 and at 10. So, you know, it was kind of these red lights that followed this very strict schedule that this woman was seeing. But also in 1913, an employee of the United States Geological Survey named D.B. Sterrett, S-T-E-R-R-E-T, if you guys want to look that up. But anyway, this gentleman uh, was sent to investigate the lights. And after consulting train schedules, he determined that the headlights from westbound Southern Railway locomotives was what was causing these lights. But, you know, we love our butts on this show. But, I do but, love butts. We all, we all love butts. And we cannot lie. <laughs> I love big butts. Booty smell good, though. <laughs> but in 1916, a flood happened in the area. And so it caused like all train operations to temporarily cease, but people still reported seeing the lights even during this time. Ghost train lights. Ooh, spooky. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. So as years went on, uh, many of the locals considered that the investigation that was conducted by D.B. Sterrett was inadequate. So in 1922, another scientist from the U.S. Geological Survey, uh, this one was named George R. Mansfield, he was sent to conduct a second investigation. And Mansfield seemed to like dig a little deeper into everything than his predecessor did. He talked to locals. He kind of studied the local folklore a little bit. He like camped out at a local hotel uh, where there was like a good vantage point for the lights. So he put a lot more legwork in, it seems like, than the original guy did. And so he found uh, allegedly that the locals were largely unaware of the lights until around 1910, which would again go back to what we were talking about before when the Southern Railways kind of upgraded their locomotive's headlights. So during uh, Mansfield's investigation, he also observed a large number of lights himself, but he determined that their location and times of appearance corresponded to train activity on a Southern Railway track. So I've kind of got mixed feelings about this. I'm not sure if, you know, this guy was just trying to brush this off in the easiest, quickest way possible because, you know, it says he saw these lights himself. So whether he was actually convinced that they were just, you know, something man-made or there's something else going on, I don't know. Because kind of the consensus he came to was other than, you know, the train headlights – that car headlights and brush fires were also responsible for some of the reports. And that doesn't even seem logical to me. 
I was going to say, you can come at it from multiple scenarios, too, that there may actually be some type of floating orbs above this, and also that train lights may look pretty damn close, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it covers all accounts of this. Like, that, that was already kind of what I was gearing at, is that, you know, there's multiple scenarios that could all be involved all in this one phenomenon, and maybe that could be the different colors, maybe you know, we figure out that specific colors are something that's not created by trains or lights or whatever, or by cars or whatever. And uh, maybe those are the ones we question a little bit more, but maybe the ones that are like the white lights or whatever, we can kind of possibly brush off as being possible train lights or headlights, depending on, again, when, where the traffic's at with this. But the other problem now is that I feel like this might be a really hard thing to investigate just off the aspect of how there's so many cars on the road now versus the time that this guy was doing all this, even like the train stuff too. I mean, there may have been a lot more trains at the time. Maybe there's more trains now. I don't know, but you know, there's so many different factors now that are all in this one area that I feel like it's, it'd be hard to go back to this time to really do just research because there's just way too many different possibilities that could be thrown in now with everything being as industrial as it is. Yeah. And I think it's kind of similar to the whole UFO thing. Like, you know, 90 plus probably percent of UFO sightings are something totally explainable, natural phenomenon, you know, military craft, something like that. But, you know, there's a small percentage that, you know, doesn't neatly fit into any of these boxes. And I think this is kind of the same thing because, you know, there's current videos and photographs and evidence for these Brown Mountain lights and the lights aren't, you know, off on the horizon on the mountain like they're they're in the air you know so this is not trains this is not brush fires so i think there's something going on there but it's just a matter of one what is it and two how many of the accounts are something truly unexplainable and how many are something just very mundane i mean it may be a refracting of light too just to throw in another possibility um, maybe if this region is known for being a lot more humid, maybe like there's a certain place where like light refracts differently and maybe that's how it visibly well, we're gonna ends up get in the into air, some but... of the kind of more scientific explanations. And, uh, yeah, I'm interested to see your take about some of that when we, we get a little deeper into the notes. I'm always going ahead, man. I can't help it. I, I'm, I'm on the right <laughs> no, train no of problem. thinking though. That's always a good thing. <laughs> so anyway, jumping back in, uh, you know, Mansfield said that, you know, his conclusions were this was largely based off of locomotive headlights, brush fires, car headlights, things of that nature. And these explanations seem to largely end a lot of the public concern regarding the lights. And, you know, in the years since, there's been speculation that a lot of these stories have kind of been just perpetuated to keep up the mystique and the legend of the lights. But it seems to me that there was some evidence that there was reports of these lights before, you know, this kind of 1909, 1910 locomotive era. But anyway, so uh, kind of like we were teasing a few minutes ago, there are several natural phenomenon that have been kind of used to explain away the Brown Mountain lights. And in 1919, the lights were brought to the attention of the Smithsonian Institute and when have they ever been involved in anything shady? They do the best work ever, don't you know? Because giants, for example, that there, there's no giants. That That's what the Smithsonian tells us. That's fact. That's what happens. And always trust everything that government officials and government organizations tell you. Yeah. Because that's, sure. that's what you're supposed to do, man. You're, just, you're not supposed to have an open mind. You're supposed to just believe what the people that have documentation of their intelligence tell you. <laughs> yeah, giants, brown mountain lights, nothing to see here. All bullshit. I, I don't know so, what giant bones you're talking about. There was a bunch, but they're, they're gone now, so I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. There, there was no, there's no giant bones. The fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, the uh, Smithsonian, our, our boys over there, they uh, handed off the investigation of the brown mountain lights to the United States Weather Bureau, and they quickly determined that the lights were the result of a weather phenomenon known as Andes lights, like named after the Andes Mountains. That's what I figured. <laughs> yeah. And this phenomenon consists of uh, electrical discharges, uh, like when they're formed in clouds. So kind of like what you were talking about before. But the problem with this is, you know, the Andes Mountains are huge. Brown Mountains actually barely, barely 
even a mountain. It's only 2,600 feet in elevation. And, you know, other experts have said that's, yeah, exactly. And they said that's not nearly tall enough for this natural phenomenon to take place. So basically, you know, Smithsonian passes this off to uh, the Weather Bureau. They just come right out of the gate and say, oh, well, this is what's going on. But that explanation does not hold water at all. Again, always believe what the officials tell you. <laughs> yeah, especially if they come from the Smithsonian. The Smithsonian is always right. <laughs> but another natural phenomenon that's been used to explain the lights is the mirage theory. And in this theory, um, air currents of different densities can produce reflective surfaces that mirror light from the stars. Now, this is kind of the most widely accepted natural explanation but there's a problem with this one, too, because even on overcast, you know, foggy whatever nights, the brown mountain lights have still been observed numerous, numerous times. Do they move? So basically, excuse me? Do the brown mountain lights move? Yeah, yeah. Like uh, They behave very much like orbs. So, uh, you know, typical reports of orbs, you know, floating through the sky, popping from one place to the next. They do all the typical orb things. So, you know, I think, uh, like we said, a lot of the initial reports very well could have been locomotives, headlights, things like that. But I think there's something else going on here because, like we said, a lot of these natural explanations just don't seem to hold water from the information I've seen. At least the star one, in my opinion. I feel like, uh, obviously, the stars move through the night, but they're not sporadically moving. So for the most part, it's going to be a very slow movement as the sky moves. So like, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me that it would be light from stars unless it was staying in one stationary spot and only maybe moving slightly as the night progresses on. Yeah. You know, they behave like orbs and you know, a lot of this stuff, like I said, seems like they're, they're trying to explain away things that, you know, it could just be, there's something kind of weird going on. I want to see somebody try to look at the brown mountain lights through a telescope and tell me what you see. If anybody hasn't already tried that, I'm definitely curious if somebody has tried that. But obviously everybody takes pictures and everything from a distance, but where's the telescopes at? You got to look at it through a telescope and see what you see. See like little ghost faces hidden within the orbs or something. <laughs> well, and this is only, you know, like three-ish hours from where we're at. So I definitely want to at least go to that area and try to take a look at it at some point, you know, I'm not expecting to see anything or crack the code or anything like that, but it's close enough that I just feel like, you know, at some point we got to go out there and kind of check it out and at least mark that one off the bucket list. You know, you got to bring a telescope or some of those binoculars that you can supposedly see the surface of the moon with, because you, you got to well, get like a real up close look at these things. I've got a really shitty telescope, so that might not get the job done. But. Hey, but that's looking at stuff in space. If you're looking at stuff that's only, you know, maybe a couple miles away from you, then you might, it might be perfect. You might be able yeah, to do it with a $20 it, telescope. It could be good enough. So this is kind of where things get even more interesting to me. So later in kind of the 20th century, the Brown Mountain Lights legends kind of became intertwined and influenced by the UFO phenomenon. Ooh. <laughs> and a local man named Ralph Lale, I believe is how it's pronounced. It's spelled L-A-E-L. -E he published a book detailing his extensive extraterrestrial encounters on Brown Mountain. And he, you know, even claimed to be taken up into spaceships and that he visited Venus. And if you guys remember, uh, I think I touched on this in our Jack Parsons series when we were talking about the Collins Elite in the explosive finale, Venus... The magical fiasco. Yeah, the magical fiasco. But when <laughs> Venus comes up in this kind of stuff, again, that should be another kind of red flag because the Collins Elite had this idea that you know these entities that claim to be from Venus are you know demonic hell demons... And that's based off of the idea that, um, you know, Venus is a lot of times referred to as the morning star, which is also what in Latin Lucifer means. So there's just another connection to a lot of stuff we've been talking about recently. And this might come up again in a future episode. Do you remember that book that came out in the 90s, the men are from Mars, women are from Venus thing? Yes. So I'm getting the idea that that person that wrote the book was basically calling women demons. <laughs> well, hey, there's a lot to unpack there. And 
uh, we don't want to get canceled. So I'm not sure if that's something we need to dig into, but that is a very interesting thought. Just an observation. Women out there, we love you. We're not <laughs> saying anything derogatory towards you. I'm just observing and pointing out something that seems a little bit weird as far as wording goes for a book. <laughs> We're so, like Jack Parsons. We're feminists over yes. here. Don't, don't take it as I'm trying to be derogatory towards anybody because that is not the case. <laughs> I'm just pointing out somebody else's bad interpretation of using the wrong planet words, probably. Exactly. It would have been better off just going with the far out planets and not using ones that are related to whatever. <laughs> But anyway, so this guy, Ralph, he also claimed that he had a mummified alien corpse, and he displayed this supposed mummified corpse in his rock shop. Uh, so I never found anything to say, like, what this corpse actually was, but, it, I mean, it was probably like a raccoon or a possum or something totally normal. But, you know, this guy said... He had been abducted on Brown Mountain, you know, went off to see Venus, and he had this alien corpse in his shop. So this guy's probably completely full of shit, but it kind of gets back into, like we said, the contact D movement and all that kind of stuff, which, uh, like I said, we're going to talk about a little bit more in a later episode. Bro, all of these really old people, like people having like physical evidence of all this weird stuff. Like, it's absolutely fascinating. But at the same time, though, you know that during that era, people were known for just, like, putting things together and saying that it was something else. Like, you had oh, the yeah, dude like with the, the Fiji whole... mermaid and stuff like that? Yeah, and, like, the hodag, for example, the guy that had, like, the hodag where he claimed that, oh, I caught a hodag and it's in my basement, but you can't see it. And then he started bringing it to shows and it ended up being, like, his kid that was, like, controlling, like, a, like a some type of made suit type of thing. Like, it's absolutely fascinating. And you find all these old pictures that look really interesting in the old pictures but it's like if that had a high definition picture of it like people today would just tear all that kind of shit apart but it's all fascinating all the same but at the same time though maybe there are some of those things that were actually real but they just kind of got pushed in with all of the bullshit that people were doing at the time like the minnesota Iceman, for example you know there's a lot of weirdness behind that that the there was two of them that the original one was actually something, may have actually been some type of like a Sasquatch or ape man. And then all of a sudden uh, there was some like interaction with the government, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden it was different. Like the, it started looking more like a suit, all this kind of shit. So, I mean, if there was any physical evidence of any of this kind of weird shit back then, I feel like it's uh, getting hidden now by our good old friends at the Smithsonian. <laughs> but that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier about, you know, like the 10% or whatever percentage you want to pick for UFO accounts. Like, yeah, we know a lot of this shit was just complete fabricated bullshit. But like you said, there could be 1% of this that was something real. We don't know. But, I mean, people were – it was a different time. People were more trusting of things, I feel like. And all this stuff was relatively new. We're, I mean, we're talking about almost you know, 80, 100 years ago with some of this stuff at this point, you know? Well, I mean, people also just didn't know the environment as well. I mean, obviously, I'm always going to say that there's possibility of there being weird creatures that we don't know of or understand out there. But at the same time, when you come to a new area, you're only, you know, 100, 200 years into the area. You really haven't explored the vastness of the woods. I mean, you don't know what could exist out there. So, of course, you're going to take anything as a possibility at that point. But nowadays, it's like everybody thinks we have everything discovered. So anybody sees anything weird and they instantly brush it off. But back then when you had no premise of what you were basing your ideas off of, you just knew that there was endless vast amounts of woods and there could be different creatures. We didn't know it, know of in there. You know, it just people would, would take that into consideration a lot more back then than they would now, which would be the same if we ever went to like another planet, for example, or if we, if there's another continent, for example, that nobody ever actually explored such as Antarctica, possibly, you know, if anybody finds anything weird there until we have more of an understanding of the area, um, any weird creature that people find, people are going to take into consideration. Yeah, and that goes back to what we talk about all the time about uh, your frame of reference, your framework, if you will, goes a long way in deciding how people interpret these weird phenomenon that they encounter. And so jumping back into the notes... Um, you know, around this same time in the 20th century, reports uh, began to shift away from, like I said, these sightings, you know, far off into the distance that could reasonably be explained away by trains or whatnot. And the sightings that were reported 
started to resemble orbs much more, like we said. Uh, the distances were much closer, and the behavior even seemed more like orbs. And so nowadays, there are reports of the lights being many different sizes and colors, which again is kind of more consistent with orbs than headlights of trains off in the distance. Especially all the weird colors. Like, why the hell would you see a train with red lights, for example, or blue lights? I mean, maybe blue lights because it's like an offshoot maybe of like white. You see like the headlights that sometimes have that bluish tint to it. Same with the yellow, but the red one throws me off. That's the main one because I mean white, blue, and yellow kind of could all be within that same category of, like, the light, white light spectrum. Yeah, and uh, like we said, I mean, I think some of this stuff historically was just trains, but there's something else going on in this area as far as I'm concerned. There's just too much evidence and too many people... I mean, this isn't some, you know, legend folk tale. People have seen this stuff. People continue to see this. There's... Uh, I was watching a YouTube video not so long ago. Um, Appalachian State University is pretty close to this area. And like one of their physics professors or something like that was talking about like observing the lights himself. So this is a observable real thing. This is not, you know, some made up bullshit that somebody's pulling out of their asses. This is a real thing. It's just a matter of what actually is it. See, my question, too, is, is it possible that because there's already known phenomena happening in this area, even if it is train lights, whatever, that if there are extraterrestrials coming, they're almost using that as a cover? Or maybe originally that's, it wasn't that's that. That's kind of my theory, yeah. But now, yeah. because they're already like, oh, that's the Brown Mountain Lights, they're like, all right, this is a safe landing zone where people will just assume we're the Brown Mountain Lights. So, boom, it's free zone. Everybody just yeah. land, do what you got to yeah. do. Now, I'm going to get into that a little bit in like my theories conclusion section. But, yeah, again, I think... You know, with this and Squonk, we're kind of two for two being on the same track with this stuff. Great minds think alike. Old oh, phrase, oh, but it always or works. Maybe not. Or maybe not. That's up to the listeners. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, the Brown Mountain Lights, uh, there's several different places they can be viewed from. Uh, the Blue Ridge Parkway at mileposts 310 and 301. Brown Mountain Overlook on NC Highway 181, or kind of the big one, is called Wiseman's View Overlook. And remember that name, Wiseman, it's going to come up again in just a few minutes. Uh, so kind of digging now into some pop culture references and whatnot to the Brown Mountain Lights. Uh, there's a Jules Verne novel that was published in 1906, and it's called The Master of the World. And kind of the plot of this novel centers around a mad scientist who is constructing an airship in his secret lair in Table Rock, North Carolina. Which secret is, lair sounds so menacing. It, it never yeah, sounds like something I, good. It never secret sounds not cool. Lair. You hear that in like a but certain his, voice. <laughs> his secret lair in Table Rock, North Carolina, which is near Morganton, which is, you know, again, the closest city to when where this actually goes on. Uh, but... You know, there's a little bit to unpack here, I think, because, again, secret layer, underground, there's always, you know, the underground shit. But this kind of goes back to the airship phenomenon as well that was going on kind of in the same time period, late, you know, 1800s, early 1900s. But um, some people have suggested that, you know, this novel came out in 1906, people were aware of it in the area. And then so when these weird things started happening, they kind of like folded it in with this whole folklore. But again, I think that might be a little bit far-fetched. I think it's just kind of a fun happenstance more than anything else. But fast forwarding to the early 60s, a singer-songwriter from Spruce Pine, North Carolina, named Scott Wiseman, Remember, we just talked about Wiseman's View Overlook. Mm -hmm. So Scott Wiseman wrote a song called The Legend of the Brown Mountain Lights. And this did a lot to kind of popularize the theory and the idea for a whole new generation. But this is where things get kind of weird. So Scott Wiseman's great uncle was a man named Joseph Lafayette Wiseman. And who, Shane, did we just talk about who is also named Lafayette? I don't remember. <laughs> L. Ron Hubbard. Yes. The L stands for Lafayette. So, again, not really anything 
there, but just kind of a, a, a strange coincidence, I think. But anyway, this guy's uncle, who people basically believe that this uh, overlook is named for, uh, Joseph Lafayette Wiseman, was the person who made the oldest written account of the Brown Mountain Lights. So, you know, there's a lot of interconnectedness there. As um, with a lot of things involved with these topics, there's just always this intermingling. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, that's what's so fun about all this stuff is figuring out what's fact, what's fiction, what's bullshit, what's, you know, a nugget of truth that deserves looking further into. So uh, kind of moving on, uh, in 1999, there was an episode of The X-Files Ooh. that centered around a case of missing hikers near Brown Mountain. And here we go, missing people again. Missing 411 and X-Files. X-Files go. is fucking great. I just had to throw <laughs> that in there. <laughs> uh, but the episode actually mentions the Brown Mountain Lights specifically. And of course, our boy Mulder believes that they are due to UFOs. Of course. Why else would he gear towards anything else? It's always you. Exactly. <laughs> and so the and Scully doesn't Lights believe in anything, no matter how much of everything she sees. <laughs> yeah, she, she's just a skeptic. But anyway, uh, the Brown Mountain Lights are also featured in a lot of TV shows like Ancient Aliens, Mystery Hunters, things like that. And they're also uh, featured in the 2014 film Alien Abduction. Now, this is something else that I think is a little interesting. Uh, going back to an episode we had a few months ago, plug, 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 Alan Greenfield, who a lot of our guys, our listeners know from um, Hellier. In Hellier, they specifically talk about Brown Mountain in this area. They talk about it pretty extensively. I, I'm not going to spoil it for people who haven't seen it, but the series kind of touches on, you know, Brown Mountain and its connections to underground caves and bases and UFO abductions and occult activity. So this kind of ties into the whole missing 411, you know, strange happenings with orbs and whatnot. Like, again, there's something there. I don't know all the connections, but there it is. Hey, you know what they are? They're markers so that people know that there's a cave to land in. Is that a possibility that anybody's ever said that they got to project? It's it's just like a like a runway, you know. Like runways had the yeah. lights, so you know where to land at. You know, if you have an underground base, you can't just have a straight fucking runway that everybody can see. If you just have one light up in the sky, you can go okay, entrance is down there. <laughs> so I mean, possi- uh, yeah, it's a possibility. Yeah, and, and you know what's so interesting about this case in particular to me is. I think a lot of this stuff on the surface, people wouldn't see these connections. And it took me a while of compiling the notes and going through stuff to be like, oh my God, all these ancient, you know, accounts, legends, what have you, they're talking about missing people. They're talking about missing people in a national forest. Like, this is stuff we talk about all the time now, and it's here from shit over a hundred years ago and it's right in front of us. And like I always say, you just kind of got to dig below the surface and put the pieces together just a little bit. And all these weird connections kind of start popping up. I'm kind of curious if these old cases had some of the same things as the current missing 411 cases where it was like clothes folded neatly left in a Pacific area, shoes left over here, but then other pieces found like a mile away from this area. Like, obviously, we don't have as much uh, documentation of all of these old cases, but I wonder if they had a lot of this type of stuff, but it wasn't documented, too, where it wasn't just yeah. like a normal person vanished, gone. Because that's, I mean, you're in a national forest. People can fall into caverns. They can fall into caves, never be seen again. But when you have, like, the folded clothes or the left shoes, like, if you're going to, if you fell into a cave, like, why would you have folded your clothes neatly before you fell into a cave? Like, you just decided to go into a cave naked? Like, that's that's a thing that we do now? <laughs> Yeah, I just like the way like the rocks said, feel on my skin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think there's a, enough here to unpack that there's something weird going on. And I mean, there's just too many connections to too many other things. And like you said, I mean, we're never going to have all those accounts of these hundred plus year old stories, but it checks enough boxes to me that I, I think there, there's some evidence of something here. 
So, and, you know, kind of like we said earlier, um, you know, I think the scientific quote unquote explanations don't really hold water, you know, just the conditions aren't right in this area or this location or, you know, the weather phenomenon that are observed, like it can't be all because of the scientific weather theories. It can't be all because of locomotive headlights there's something going on the question is is it completely natural or is it something stranger and i think it's a combination of both but i think it's largely you know there's something kind of weird going on in this area so uh this one was a little shorter uh than some of our previous episodes but um it's about an hour too deep i didn't want to go too deep into all of this but that's kind of where i landed on the research and um I'm curious to see what, you know, some of our listeners think about this one, because I think there's a lot of stuff to unpack and there's a lot of uh, jumping off points with this one, I feel like. And going forward, just an idea to help build the Discord community. Um, On that, there are tabs for Bizarre Encounters, Inquiries about Reality, all of that. And uh, when we have episodes like this, we want to hear your guys' comments on them and hear what you guys have to say about it. Uh, if you guys want to go on to the Discord, go right over to the uh, Bizarre Encounters tab, drop your thoughts, theories, all of that kind of stuff, and maybe we can use that as an open means of communication between everybody to kind of throw their theories into each thing that we cover in episodes because I'd love to hear what all of you guys have to say about it. And as always, you guys reach out to us through social media, through email, through the uh, submission form on the link tree. Get up with us somehow. Contribute ideas to Shane's Bizarre Encounters book. And yeah, talk to us about the Brown Mountain Lights. Let us know what you guys think. And if you guys haven't already reviewed or rated the show on iTunes or Spotify, we would definitely appreciate it if you did. It's an awesome way to help out the algorithm, make it so that more people are seeing the show, make it so the show can continue to grow. And the only way that's ever going to happen, like I always say, is with your guys' help. And uh, if you guys leave an awesome five-star review, we will, of course, read it on the show, give you guys a shout-out. You know, we get a lot of, uh, I want to say... You know, people people kind of dropping like like opinions on specific episodes and stuff like that. But if some of you guys wouldn't mind kind of throwing in like a whole idea of like what you think of the show as like a whole rather than like a specific episode, I'd love to read some of those on the show. Um, again, I appreciate every single review that all of you guys do for the show. But if you guys wouldn't mind at least throwing like one or two in that's just kind of rating the show as a whole, I would definitely appreciate it. And again, and that'll continue to help it so the show continues to grow. And uh, everything that we mentioned is all available down in the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And whatever you want to find, be it our social media, our Discord, our YouTube, our TikTok, our uh, Patreon, whatever, Open Minds Media merch store, follow the link to exactly what it is, whatever it is that you might be looking for. And with that, I have been the one, the only, Shane Squatch. And I've been Oren. And uh, guys, I, I, I feel like I got to tell you every single episode because a lot of you guys, you just don't know or it doesn't stick in your brain. Uh, you guys got to remember to always, always don't be afraid to stay bizarre. 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 Locomotives? Huh?